0: All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. We are so pumped for the opening of our kids' wing this morning. Uh, If you haven't been down there, it looks awesome. Um, Just grateful. Grateful to God for that. Uh, thank you for your giving for it. I mean, many of you pledged sacrificially to illuminate to this building expansion. Uh, it's just the, the Lord's using it, so, so thank you. Uh, before we get into our passage in Scripture uh, this morning, I too just want to take a minute or two and just briefly say something about this really important series that we are starting uh, next week. Uh, as you just heard Matt say, uh, starting next week for four weeks, we are going to do a series on what does the Bible teach about these issues of gender and sexuality. I want to give you an idea of where we're going. And so, starting next Sunday, uh, we're going to take a detailed look at what does the Bible say about gender, uh, specifically about being transgender. And then the following week, uh, we're going to dive into the issue of sexuality and same-sex attraction. Um, Then we'll spend the third week looking deeper at this issue of identity, which is kind of underneath it all. And then we're going to finish with a week on those really hard practical questions of interaction uh, that Christians ask. Uh, I want you to be here, be here all four weeks, as Matt said, Uh, this is not going to be a series on what does David think, or uh, what does the latest best-selling author think, we're going to look hard at what uh, God's word actually says, and I've been working really hard this past year to be able to communicate this with truth and grace. Uh, Let me tell you something, so I've been preaching and teaching the Bible now for 20 years, Uh, I have preached over 1,000 messages, and I have never in my life put more effort into a teaching series than this next one. Uh, it, It means so much to me because this is such an important topic for our age. It is a very personal topic for a lot of people and I wanted to be able to study it deeply so that I could help you be able to talk about this issue effectively, biblically, and kindly as a follower of Jesus Christ. So do not miss next week. Okay, let's get into this week. I would love for everybody to grab a Bible, whether you brought your own or use ours here. Uh, The Bibles are under the chair in front of you or in front of you, or if you're in the first row, they're right underneath you. Uh, If you're using a church Bible, We're going to be on page 724, everybody else, John chapter 2. We are in the last week of our series on John chapter 1 and 2. Now, there is technically a passage after this in John chapter 2 about Jesus clearing the temple, uh, but we just covered that two years ago in our uh, Luke series, Lost and Found, uh, which you can find that on our website if you like. So uh, this will be the end of our John 1 and 2 series. If it's your first time here this morning, uh, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Let me give you a little context on where we are in the Bible. So John is one of four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 1, we saw Jesus sort of introduced on the scene, and now here in John chapter 2, we're going to see Jesus do his first miracle, which I just totally ruined the story. Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, John chapter 2, so you're just going to look for that big number 2, and then you'll be in the right spot. So here we go. Here's what it says. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, it's Mary, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, white. okay, let me, I don't know, my voice just cracked. Um. <laughs> I was really nervous about this next point. That is not a term of disrespect. You know, when you read in English, you're like, woman, right? No, no, no. In Greek, that's what this is written in, it's actually a term of respect. We just don't have like a good lady, maybe would be a little better translation, but it's not perfect either. It was a term of respect, so don't read it as disrespect. (laughs) Jesus is not dissing on his mom here. Okay. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So this is the first miracle. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and there they stayed for a few days. Okay, so Jesus is at a wedding with his mom, Mary, and with his disciples. And Mary finds out that there's no more wine. Now, we're going to talk in just a minute about why this is kind of a big deal. But for now, suffice it to say that Mary wants to help, right? And she believes that Jesus can help. So she goes and she tells Jesus about it. But then Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Now, that phrase we see a couple of times in the Gospels, my hour. He's talking about his death, his revealing himself to the whole world that he is a sacrifice that he is the savior but mary senses that he's still willing to help right maybe because he's going to increase the faith of his disciples which we see at the end of the passage and so mary turns to the servants on those waiting tables at the wedding and here's what she says she says do whatever he tells you And I love this, phrase. This is my favorite part of the passage. Do whatever he tells you. Okay, these words that Mary says to the servants are good words for all servants of Jesus today, right? Do whatever he tells you. You want to write this on your mirror, okay? You want to put it on your lock screen. You want to make it your phrase of the week, your slogan of the year. Do whatever he tells you. Okay, now, I don't know where you're at spiritually. Maybe you've just heard things are going on at this place in Blaine and you're visiting this place today or you're checking out Christianity. I do want to say that if you're just checking this out, maybe that sounds intense to you. Like, like, whatever? Like, isn't that just like a lot of religious devotion? Do whatever he tells you. So, what I want to do is I want to show you why, as followers of Jesus, we don't feel that as an exaggeration. Um, That it means so much to us. And specifically, I want to cover why. Here are the two things I want to look at. Number number one, why are we to obey Jesus fully like this? And then number two, how are we to obey, obey Jesus? What does that look like? And for the number of you in the room that are followers of Jesus, I want you to be thinking through as we talk through these two questions, what is God calling me to do? Where do I need to obey as a follower of Jesus? But let's start with the why. So why in the world would we trust one person so completely? I will give you actually three reasons here. Here's number one. So why are we to obey Jesus? Number one, because he is infinitely wiser than us. So think about this. One of the main reasons when you don't obey someone, so maybe it's your parents uh, growing up, or, or maybe it's a boss, But when somebody tells you to do something and you don't, one of the main reasons that you don't is because you think that you know better than them, right? I mean, this goes back to the opening pages of the Bible. Why does Eve fall for Satan's lies and not obey God? It's because she thinks that she knows better, right? But obedience takes faith and it takes trust. I mean, even the servants at the wedding, they had to think about this. Like, I'm sorry, this Jesus guy is asking me to do what now? Like are we actually gonna do this? Is this a good move for what's happening here? Because in those days, in that culture, not having enough wine at a wedding, which was a huge event of hospitality for the community, not having enough wine was a major, major social faux pas. It was basically not being hospitable in a culture where hospitality was everything. This was such a big deal that a lot of scholars think that if they run out of wine and it's not fixed, this couple would probably carry the shame of that the rest of their married lives. And so this is why Mary is like, they ran out of wine. This is a big deal in their culture. And so when Jesus comes over to the servants, he says, go fill these jugs. The servants have got to decide, okay, this situation is already super intense. It's a bit of a disaster. Is this Jesus guy, if we obey him, is that gonna make the situation worse or better? And lots of times we're having to wrestle through the same question. But listen, as a follower of Jesus, you can do whatever he tells you because Jesus is infinitely wise. Okay, there's no teacher, there's no author, there's no social media influencer, there's no culture on earth. Nothing has more wisdom than Jesus. And honestly, you're going to listen and follow someone, okay? So you might as well make it the one with infinite knowledge, Jesus Christ. Uh, let me give you another reason of why you should do whatever he tells you, why you should obey in such a degree. Here's number two. The best place for you to be is in the center of the will of God. So, okay, when I don't obey God, which is all too often, right? I'm, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. We've got that in common, okay? When I don't obey God, it's not just because I think I know better. Often it's because I think that things will go better for me if I don't obey him. Like, let me give you an example. Okay, we know, as people who read the scriptures, and I I don't know if you've read the Bible before, but if you have, you'll see that God asks us to give generously of our finances, of of our resources, uh, to his work, uh, to people in need, to the poor. You can't read the Bible and not see that, right? But many, many people don't do anything with that. So why? why? Why would we say, I'm not gonna obey you there? For a lot of us, it's because we think things will go worse for us if we obey him. Like if I'm giving away, then things will go worse for me. That's sort of the thought process underneath it. It's like when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler in in the gospels, this is a man who Jesus identified his idol. The thing he was clutching in his identity was his money. And so Jesus says, if you really wanna find life, you've gotta sell all you have and follow me. That's where you're gonna find life. And the man says no. He doesn't obey because he just can't imagine that thing, that the best place to be would be in the will of God. He thinks the best place to be would be in his will. And so when we don't obey what Jesus says regarding maybe our purity or relationships or how we talk to one another, it's often because we think things will go better if we don't listen to him. But the best place to be is in the will of God, doing whatever he tells you. So, you know, if you're reading the Bible every morning or every night or whenever you do it, I pray that you do, when you read it and you see Jesus say something to you in here, do whatever he tells you. Because that's the best place to be. And think about this interesting thought. Jesus, in performing this miracle, he didn't actually need the servants, did he? Right, like Jesus could have just been like, okay, I need water, I could have, water, right? You know, and just wine. And then everybody, I mean, people could have been holding glasses and he could just put wine in their glasses, right? He doesn't need the servants, but he chooses to use the servants. Why? That's an interesting question. Because he wants them to experience the blessing of being used by God. And hear me, Jesus, the creator of the universe, wants you to experience the same thing the blessing of being used by God. Isn't that amazing? that's what he wants for you. And if you want God to do amazing things through you in your life, it starts with obedience, right? Because if the servants go, well, that's weird, I'm not going to do that, then they don't see the miracle, right? Before the miracle is obedience. And the last thing that you want to do is develop a habit of saying no to God, Okay, because for many of you, God has been prompting you with something. You got to stop that. You got to start this. I need to go here. You need to talk to someone. He's prompting you. But what's happening is you're saying no. You're saying no, not yet. No. And here's here's why I got to warn you about this. If you continue to say no to God's assignments, scripture tells us that eventually he'll move on to someone else. The Old Testament is a good example of this. King Saul, the first king of Israel, God is using him mightily at first, but Saul starts to harden his heart towards God. And what does God do? Well, eventually, he moves on to King David. Why? He calls King David a man after God's own heart. God is looking for someone he can use. In fact, God is looking for a heart that will do whatever he says. Is that you? Do you have a heart that says, Yes, I trust you so much, I'll do whatever you tell me to do? Now, let me give you a third reason why, as Christ followers, we want to do whatever he tells us. That we want to obey with such a radical obedience. Number three, our obedience brings glory to God. So the servants obey, the miracle is performed glory goes to God, right? That's why it ends with, and the disciples, their faith is increased. And of course, God does amazing things to them. When you obey, God is glorified. Even if it doesn't feel like it even if your obedience feels countercultural, right? You might be 24 years old. I mean, one of the things that's happened in the last maybe 12 to 18 months at this church, there be a lot of young people, a lot of people in their 20s coming. And so maybe you're 24 years old and you're dating someone right now and you feel like you may be the last two people on the planet saving themselves for marriage, right? America, 2024, But why are you doing it? You're doing it because you read the scriptures and you see that that's what God has told you to do. And I just wanna speak into your life and say, God is going to be glorified in your decision. He's gonna be glorified in your relationship. He is going to be glorified in your future marriage. He is gonna be glorified even when people come up to you and say, I'm sorry, you're doing what now? And you can say, this God is so amazing. So powerful, so loving, so worthy to me that I would do whatever. You mean like whatever? Why what? will do whatever. He says, God is glorified in obedience. Okay, now that we got a little bit behind the why, why would we live in such radical obedience? Let's get to the how. What does it look like to live in radical obedience, to do whatever he tells us to do? Okay, number one on the how. How are we to obey Jesus? Number one is you obey immediately. Even if it isn't totally clear. Now, I don't want to spend as much time here because we talked about this actually a little bit at Christmas. This is a major theme of the Bible. It's a major theme of faith. So, the wise men, for instance, right, they obey, they follow in faith, even though they don't have a ton to go on. And here in John chapter 2, the servants obey Jesus, even though, let's be honest, it makes zero sense. Right? Jesus comes up to them in the middle of the wedding and says, Hey, uh, I need you to fill. Uh, six of these huge jars with water. I can almost literally hear myself saying back to Jesus, and what's that gonna do? Like, serious, it's, it's a step out of the story like you've never heard it before. It's a ridiculous request. I feel like I'd say, I'm sorry, what? Well, what's that gonna do? But isn't that kind of the story of faith, right? Like, we, we can say, what is walking around the walls of Jericho gonna do? Okay, what is walking right up to the Red Sea gonna do? What is praying over someone who's sick gonna do? But we believe, we obey, even if it's not totally clear because that's what faith is. If it's totally clear, it's not faith, right? And so where is it, I ask you, that God is calling you to obey, but you have been hesitant and you're putting it off, right? Maybe, maybe a friend or a family member challenged you from God's word on something in the last week or two. I say to you, do whatever he tells you. Maybe you heard something in Pastor John's message last week. You're like, oh, no, that's from God for me. Do whatever he tells you. What has the Holy Spirit been telling you specifically in your heart and your mind? And by the way, he never contradicts this. What has he been telling you to do? Do whatever he tells you to do and just start filling the jars. All right, let me give you a second how of what obedience looks like. Number two, as Christians, we need to obey even if it's inconvenient. Now, I think we can miss this part of the story when we read it in hindsight, because we're like, oh, yeah, but like Jesus in the flesh came up to them and said, fill the jars. But listen, Jesus wasn't a miracle maker at this point. I mean, I'm sure he did some on the side growing up as a kid or whatever, right? But this is his first public miracle. So to these servants, he's just Jesus from down the road in Nazareth. And yet there's something there where they obey, and think about how incredibly inconvenient this would have been for these waiters. Okay, all their guests are already livid and upset that the wine is gone. Any of you ever work in food service or you still do, still work in first food service? This is an incredible industry. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. If you work in food service, you know that people get crabby when they don't have their food or their wine or whatever it is, right? And so the guests are upset. And now... While everybody's mad, they're supposed to go off and take extra time to go fill six, um, these are, this is not a gallon, what did it say? It was 20 to 30 gallon jars of water. They're not doing it from a fire hose. Okay, this is gonna take forever while people are already upset. It's incredibly inconvenient. And yet, despite the inconvenience, they obey. They don't say, oh I can't obey because that's inconvenient. And yet, for us, I think this is hard, because we live in America, 2024, and it's quite consumeristic, we're quite selfish, all of those things, and we bring that sometimes to our faith, and we wrongly expect that if God asks me to do something, it shouldn't be hard. In fact, when he asks us to do something that's hard, often we're like, oh, that can't be God. As if the only way we love someone is by making their life easy. That's kind of how we treat God. But that's not how we parent. Right? Do you never ask your kids, those of you with kids, you never ask them to do anything hard? Right? You only ask them to obey if it's going to be easy and totally convenient. Well, that's not what we do in my house. I don't know what you do, right? Or do we believe that sometimes the best thing for our kids is for them to be inconvenienced along the way? By the way, let me say something. This is why it's generally not a good idea for you to figure out what God's will is for your life. on, like, should I get this job? Should I marry this person? Should I move here? When you're trying to figure out God's will, which is really important, it's generally not a good idea to do that by what are called open and closed doors. I hear Christians use that language all the time. Stop saying that. It's not a biblical thought. Right When Pharaoh says to Moses in the book of Exodus, no, I will not let your people go. Moses doesn't go. Well, there's the closed door. I guess we're backing up, right? No, no, no. You listen to the word, you listen to the spirit of God, and you keep following whether the door shuts in your face five times. We can't use that. Now, God may be opening doors, but you have to remember sometimes God shuts doors and then he wants you to go through it so don't use that as a litmus test of, what's God, of what God is doing. Okay, this leads me to my final point of how we obey in radical obedience. So number three, and this is a hard one. It's obey all the way, not just in part. So Jesus says to the servants in John 2, fill it up to the brim. We obey all the way and then bring it to the master. Okay, this is hard. This is a church where we say hard things. Okay, we don't just give like you a light and fluffy version of the Bible. So what I'm communicating to you here is biblical truth, but I'm not saying that it's easy, okay? Most people in America who call themselves Christians only fill the jar of obedience up until the line of inconvenience or up until the line of sacrifice or the line of pain. It reminds me of a, a great quote I read last month. I was reading a biography autobiography of a, a woman by Rachel Gilson and a great book. And she said this about a time in her life. She said, you know, I, I wore the name of Jesus, but I was living like a pagan with Christian hobbies. And I think that describes too many of us in America. You know, we, we, we take the label of Christian We've got some Christian hobbies. We do some church on Sunday morning. Uh, We get to a, a group in the week. You know, maybe even start the year with a Bible reading plan. But when it comes to obedience to the King of Kings, right? When we read what Jesus says about honoring our parents all the way through our lives. When we read what He says about our sex life or our language or what we watch with our eyes, or how to forgive people who wronged us, we refuse to obey to the brim. All the way, we say, I hear this all the time, I'm a pastor, people say, I see Jesus, I read what you said, I see it with my own eyes, but if I stop sleeping with and living with the person that I'm dating, that is incredibly, Incredibly financially inconvenient. And so I'm not going to obey you there. Right? To the line of inconvenience. We say, I read, I read in the Gospels what Jesus is saying about forgiveness. To forgive others as you forgave me. But that person hurt me. They hurt me. And they hurt me bad. And I will not, I will not forgive them there. and we obey right up to the line, but not to the brim. He says, do whatever he tells you, Mary says. But we say, we will, but not if it hurts. And that's not obedience. That's convenience. And they're not the same thing. And for me, this comes back to the question of who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Because I think that the reason that we get to up into this line and then we stop is because too many of us think as Jesus as hey, somebody out there, he's there to kinda of make my life a little bit better and give me a ticket to heaven. If that's all you think of Jesus, then you're only gonna obey when it's convenient. But if Jesus Christ is the king of kings, if Jesus Christ is the one who gave you breath and holds your life together, if Jesus Christ is the one who knows absolutely everything, including what's best for you, if Jesus Christ loves you so much that he gave his only life for you, his life on the cross, then he's the only person. He's the only person that is worth obeying all the way. And he's the only person that I would say, I want to do whatever you tell me to do. Now, as we're talking about obedience today, uh, I actually want to call our baptismal a uh, team on stage. We've had a lot of people, uh, we have 23 people come to Christ uh, just in the last two months at our church, uh, which is amazing. Um So we're doing a lot of baptisms. Um, We just uh, did a baptism at first service a woman who just came across six weeks ago. Uh, Just amazing to watch. And so we're doing another baptism this morning. Um, Baptism, let me say something by the way. I know these people are really amazing and distracting but I don't want you to miss what I say. For some of you in this room, baptism is your do whatever he tells you moment. Because the scriptures tell us to get baptized. And it's one of the areas that we hesitate the most to obey Jesus. But God tells us to do it. Why does he tell you to do it? Because baptism is so important. It is a public declaration of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. It doesn't save you, but it's a symbol that through your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that he has washed away your sins. And that you once were dead in your sins and that he has raised you up. To new life through your faith in Jesus. And for some of you, if you need to be obedient to that, and you don't have to get up here and give a testimony. We can just ask you some questions. You can make a video. You can do whatever you want. But if you need to be obedient to that, I urge you today, go out into the lobby and sign up. Get out your phone, your app, and sign up. But say, I just want to be the person who does whatever he tells me to do. All right, every person uh, you see baptized at our church is baptized by sponsors. Uh, sometimes it's the person who led them uh, to Christ at first service. Uh, the woman who uh, just came to Christ six, seven weeks ago, it was her cousin. And uh, I'm going to share what, you, what, what she said in her testimony. She said, you know, after my cousin invited me to Renovation Church uh, over 100 times, I finally said yes. <laughs> and I, I, that was encouraging to me, you know, because sometimes it's like you ask someone, they're like, no. You're like, well, I'm never asking that again, Right. But just, it's just cool to see what God has done. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a family member. Sometimes it's a parent. All those people play such an important influence in just changing lives. Okay, so at this point, I'm going to invite Haley up, and we're going to hear a testimony.
1: So I was lucky enough to be raised in a Christian home with parents who fostered my relationship with God from a very early age. I first gave my life to God in preschool, but I've done so a handful of times throughout my life as I matured in my faith and continued to make it my own and separate from my parents. And though I've never really experienced life completely without Jesus, I have observed how he's influenced every major aspect of my life. Through every situation, he's given me an unwavering hope, a rich sense of purpose, unconditional and a peace from the knowledge that this life is temporary. And because of his grace and forgiveness that he displayed by sending his son to die on the cross for my sins, I will spend the rest of eternity in his perfect presence. And the only thing that Christ asks for in exchange is for me to believe in him, love him, and work to live a life that mimics his. So today, I have chosen to celebrate this wonderful gift by following Jesus' commandment to get baptized. based on your confessions of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: All right, thank you. You know, before we... Before we end this service, I just want to take a few minutes because I think I would be remiss if we're talking about this idea of listening to what he says. If I didn't mention that, I think to a few of you in the room, what God is saying right now to you is come to me. Turn your life over to me. Trust me. Just as the many, many people we're seeing at this church in the last two months are doing, and it's so revolutionizing their life and their eternity, their future that God can do that in your life. And that's why Jesus came, not just to be a good teacher or show us to, you know, how to be nice, good citizens. No, he came on a rescue mission for you and for me. Here's how the Bible explains it. In the book of Romans, which is a letter, uh, chapter three, verse 23, it gives us this important verse that says this. It says, for all have sinned. So, so none of us are perfect, okay? Any perfect people in the room? Oh, look, no one. Okay, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means God is perfect, okay? God doesn't sin, God is holy, and we all fall short of that. And part of God being holy, it means he's just. And we've sinned against God. God himself, this just judge, which means there must be justice for our sins. And the Bible explains it this way. Romans is a couple chapters later, same part of the Bible. Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of, what are wages? It's like what you get for your job, right? So what we get for our sin against God is death. You see, death, that means hell. That means punishment. That's what we deserve because he's a just God. But, I'm so thankful there's a contraction there. But, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that means this, that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he came to earth and he dies on the cross. And what he's doing, remember that punishment that we deserve? He's taking it for you. He's taking the punishment. That's the gift. And the way you can be forgiven, it's not by getting your life together and trying to be a good person. No, no, no. You Give your life to Jesus. You believe that he died in your place and then he comes in and changes your life. That's how it works. I, I sometimes think of it this way. Let me show you an illustration. Maybe this will be helpful for some of you. Okay, so let's pretend that the bottom half of this is where we are when we start, okay? We're in sin. There's chains even. We can't please God. We can't get out of sin. We're stuck, right? And sin looks different for different people. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be pride, and what you've accomplished. But it's still sin, right? And to get to the other side, to get to forgiveness, to get to heaven, to get right with God, there is a chasm, and that chasm is our sin. We just can't cross it, and the only way across is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there's someone who can come and pay for that sin. So the guilt would go on him, so you could be not guilty. And the way to be forgiven is to step out in faith, to say, I believe. I believe. Wash me clean. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to go to hell. I want eternal life with you, and I've given you my life. I invite you to come in, sit on the throne, and change my life. And listen, God can do that in your life. Even if you're thinking, I don't know if he could, he can. Even if you're thinking, I've really messed up, doesn't matter. He knew about it before he went to the cross, and he still went. And you can make that decision today to walk across and have your life changed. In fact, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now, okay? So let's just, for a minute, would you just close your eyes and just maybe even bow your head. If you need to make this decision for the first time to walk across that chasm, to tell Jesus you need forgiveness, to make him the leader of your life, to believe that he died for you and walk across that bridge. In just a minute, I'm gonna ask you just to raise up your hand. Nobody's looking at you. Okay, everybody's eyes are closed, but that's kind of a moment. It's like taking the step on the bridge saying, yep, I'm, I'm taking my action step. I believe that you came from me and I wanna become your follower. I wanna start following after you. I want eternal life in heaven. I want you to come in and change me. I want to repent of my sins, right? Repent means to turn away from them and trust that Jesus, as you listen to what he tells you, has a better life for you, because he does, because he's your good father. And if that's you and you need to believe and walk across for the first time and let him forgive you and invite him in, would you just raise your hand up to him and say, that's me, I want that. I invite you in, I believe in you, Jesus. If you've never done that before, would you, would you just raise your hand up to him? All right, amen. Anyone else? If that's you, just raise your hand up. Say, God, this is me. I need your forgiveness. I need to believe. Amen. Anyone else? You've got to walk across. All right, amen. Anyone else? I'll give you a few more seconds. If you know you need to trust in Jesus, you can't trust in yourself, would you just raise your hand up? All right, you can put your hands down. We'll keep our eyes closed. For those of you praying, and you made this decision, you raise your hand. I want you to repeat after me. The Bible says, when you get to this point in your life, it's a time to tell God what's going on. And so I want you to repeat this even out loud after me. If you just raise your hand or you've believed for a long time, because the Bible says, we believe in our hearts, but we confess with our mouths. So just, would you just say this after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. 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 Uh, we, if, if you just made this decision, we are happy for you. We are pumped for you. Uh, it is changing so many lives in our city and beyond because Jesus is real and he is here. And he's so excited to come in and change your life. Now, when you make a decision like this and you start crossing, you've got to know what do I do next, okay? And so what I wanna do here is we're gonna wrap up our service and as we do and people are kind of heading out, I'm just gonna stand right up here. And after the service, if you raised your hand, I'd love for you to come down and just talk with me for about two or three minutes and I'm gonna give you some really important resources so you know what to do next. And that's really key because you don't wanna say, I wanna do this and have nowhere to go, okay? So I need you to just stay after Chat with me for like two minutes. I'll get you some resources and we'll get you started on the right path, okay? All right, let me pray and we'll close our service. Lord, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing in the space. We thank you for the baptisms all morning. We thank you for the people that are coming to Christ. And Lord, increase our faith in you. May we see you as bigger so we can increase our obedience to you. You are worthy of us trusting you all the way. And Lord, give us the power to do it this week. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. Have a great week, everybody.